0: This is the Hockey News Podcast.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here. It's Ryan Kennedy, and that's it. Producer Stephen lurks in the background, but we are 100% Ken Campbell free today. We will miss him. He'll be back next week. So, Mr. Kennedy, we are roughly a quarter of the way through the season, although it feels... Strange to say that because there are teams that have played, you know, nine games. There are teams that have played 17 games. But if you average all the games together across the NHL, we're roughly at the quarter mark. So I wanted a little uh, prediction update for you. I want you to let me know, has your Stanley Cup pick changed? And if so, who is it? And if it hasn't changed, just reiterate why you're sticking with your original pick.
0: Yeah, my pick has slightly changed right now. And a lot of it is just situational. Originally, I had Colorado. As my Stanley Cup winner. And I still think that could happen. But right now, the abs have been so banged up that it's hard to get a sense of how good they are. I mean, we know they're pretty good. But if I had to place a bet right now, I would go with the Vegas Golden Knights because I feel that they are more of a new quantity at this point in the season. You know, Marc Andre Fleury has been great. Um, You know, they have all that depth of scoring, they have a very good defense score, you know, they have all the elements you need, and they've been getting the wins in the standings. Um, Also to sort of dig down a little deeper on it, I, I like Vegas because they're going to be tested in the playoffs, but I still think they can push through that. Whereas, you know, in some of the other divisions, it's still hard to get a sense of how many teams are there and, you know, another team that I think is up there is Boston. Um, but, in a and I, I could certainly see them going to the final, but in a weird way, they could match up with the Islanders in the playoffs. And the Islanders seem to have their number. Um, so I feel the most confident with Vegas right now. Um, but I will say that, you know, once Colorado is at full speed, I can certainly flip my pick back.
1: Okay. Uh, You know, I'm getting a feeling about Tampa Bay again, which I, you know, I had them, I think as a finalist, I didn't have them necessarily winning, but you know, they've looked really strong, really dominant already. And that's without Nikita Kucherov, but I'm going to stick with my pick, which was Colorado. I know it's tough to evaluate a lot of the central teams because just, the, or no, is West. They're West right now. Yeah. But a lot of the teams in the league that, that have not played as many games because of COVID, including Colorado, it, the sample size is not that big. I feel like we have a really good handle on the North because they've played so many games, but yeah. every other division feels kind of murky. But that said, the reason why, even despite, you know, all the injuries, the COVID cases, everything that's happening with the Avs, the reason why I'm still high on them is, you know, I was looking into some of their numbers. So these numbers I compiled before the end of last night's game. So they might've changed slightly, but it still illustrates the point. I'm seeing some crucial changes to their overall game in the areas that they needed to improve. And that's the defensive side of the puck. We know they're extremely dynamic offensively last year. They were just okay. They weren't terrible defensively, but they were just kind of, you know, they were fine. Whereas now we're seeing them killing penalties at a rate again, as of last night, higher than 90%. Uh, They have the best possession numbers in the entire NHL. They're allowing the third fewest shots in the league. They have the fourth lowest expected goals against at five on five. So those are all signs that in terms of the actual flow of the game. And I think especially because of Kale McCarr, you're seeing him break through. Obviously, he's not the traditional definition of defensively great, but he's dominating at both ends of the ice right now and also in net you're seeing Philip grubauer it's his contract year it's his chance to prove he can be the guy and he's been unbelievable so far and playing at a vez a trophy caliber level we'll see if he gets hurt again that's always been the problem but if you're looking at you know going into the season what were the things that colorado has to prove that, that it can improve it would be defense and probably goaltending and we're seeing key improvements in those two areas so based on that I'm still on the Colorado train, even though the sample size is small. Now, I want to ask you uh, as well, Ryan, about the uh, the awards race, specifically the Hart Trophy. I won't get into all the other awards right now, but just it's fun to sort of take stock because it gets people hot under the collar when you're talking about the MVP race, especially when, it, if if anything has anything to do with Edmonton these days, it, it just gets people fired up. For my money, that's the most reactionary fan base in the league right now. Uh, who is your quarter season hard trophy favorite and, and why? And, and has it changed from your expectations?
0: Mm. Well, I'm going to channel Ken Campbell since he's not here, but I, I can feel his spirit within me. And I'm going to say Patrick Kane with the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, we thought Chicago was going to be horrible this year, particularly after, you know, Jonathan Taves and Kirby Doc went on the shelf. But the Hawks, they're actually halfway decent. And, you know, it's, it's not just Patrick Kane. I mean, they've gotten some some nice uh, contributions from unlikely sources uh, like Pia Suter and Kevin Lankan and Annette. But Patrick Kane, I mean, this dude, he just doesn't stop. And I had to ask myself, like, is Patrick Kane not as old as I think he is? Is it possible that, like, he's just always been around since I've been with this magazine? Uh, you know, I mean, he was drafted... Uh, while I was, you know, in my early days here. But it got me thinking, like, do I think Patrick Kane is older than he is? Or is he just kind of like ageless when it comes to uh, offensive production? But I mean, what he's done for that Blackhawks team, the the boost he's given them when they needed it the most, I think that, you know, qualifies him for that hard trophy status, especially if Chicago manages to sneak into the playoffs, which for me, even in a, uh a shortened season I I feel is a must if you're going to be the Hart Trophy winner
1: Mm -hmm. and you I I think it's a good argument especially because if you think of the traditional definition of the Hart Trophy most valuable to his team and with all the losses at center that the Blackhawks have had Kane carrying the team on his back it really fits the definition kind of reminds me of Taylor Hall a few years back and you know Kane it's weird he I don't think people talk enough about how decorated his career is I think if you look back at this entire generation, it's going to be Ovechkin and Crosby are the most decorated players. But in that second tier right behind and, and, you know, surefire Hall of Famer tier, it's going to be Evgeny Malkin and Patrick Kane. And Kane, you know, he's got a scoring title, he's got an MVP, he's got three Stanley Cups, a Calder Trophy, a Conn Smythe Trophy. I think you can make a case when his career is going to be done, he might be the best American player of all time even if you know eventually he could be surpassed by an austin matthews who knows but right now in terms of everything that kane's won all the individual accolades the consistency he's had a phenomenal career uh and it's funny so talking about patrick kane talking about taylor hall it reminds me of that 2017 18 season when Connor mcdavid he won the the ted Lindsay award voted by the players but didn't win the mvp i kind of wonder if that's going to happen to mcdavid again he's having an amazing year leading the league in points but you do have kane having that great season austin matthews i think is well playing an otherworldly level, he could score 50 goals in a 56-game season, which is absurd. And, of course, I mentioned Kale McCarr already. But I'm going to stick with McDavid right now because I think what you're seeing that's a change this year specifically in him and in Leon Dreisaitl is dominance, true dominance at both ends of the ice. And I'm not saying McDavid was a liability defensively. I think he's better than, you know, the perception of Dreisaitl. But I think you're seeing a big difference this year uh, in terms of every little metric of, you know, chances, chances for and against. And high danger chances and shots and every kind of sh- shooting metric. McDavid is, is putting up the best numbers of his career by far this season. And of course the offense, you know, the offense needs no introduction. We know what he is. He's the most dominant offensive player of his generation, but you're seeing the improvements at both ends of the ice a more complete game. And I think that's, if McDavid can, can sort of cross off that box or check that box as well, he's the best player in the world and he's playing well at both ends of the ice. I think it's hard to vote against him. So he's my guy right now. Although I, I do agree that, you know, Patrick Kane is getting, he's building a pretty strong case. So there was talk last week and into the weekend about some proposals. Uh, I think the original report came from Pierre LeBron at the athletic and the discussion was the change in the draft format. And this comes originally, you know, we, it's perceived that it originates from the Detroit Red Wings front office because, you know, there's a perception that Detroit really got jobbed in the draft. They had the worst team in 20 years and they miss out on every lottery ball, every every lottery ball that's drawn, they end up picking fourth. So there's a lot of talk, a groundswell that it's going to go to the board of governors, and we're looking at the possibility of a change that will increase the odds for the lower teams, and maybe an additional rule that if you, you know, if we get those increased odds for the lower teams, that those teams can't pick first two years in a row. They can't win the lottery two years in a row. So as a, as a big draft guy, Ryan, I'm curious where you land on this. Do you think that it's broken needs fixing or do you think that the way things are right now should be the way it stays
0: i i would be open to higher odds for the worst teams and not being able to pick uh two years in a row i i was thinking about this you know before we came on and i was like what would be fair you know because you obviously want to avoid the old edmonton others thing about picking first, I think it was three times in six years uh, or or something uh, along those lines. So I was thinking, okay, so you pick first overall one year, what should happen the next year? Should it be that you can't pick top five? Should it be that you can't pick, you know, top nine? So you can pick first and then 10th. The only caveat I put here is I think that Seattle should have the chance to pick high at least twice in a row because it's a a brand new team um you know i mean they're just discussing these things so they might not even be ready uh for the next year anyways but i think i'd be most comfortable with say the top you know two teams get higher odds um but you cannot pick uh first two years in a row and there would be some sort of um not penalty, but there would be some sort of uh, margin there where if you pick first, then you have to pick like sixth the next year or even 10th. Uh, I, th- I think that would be the most agreeable for me.
1: All right. uh, I'm going to go the other way. I, I don't love this idea. Um, I- I'm a math guy. Okay. It- so there's a stereotype of journalists being bad at math. Not true. I was great in math. I was great in school, okay, and I, I'm a believer in math, in odds, and the fairness of odds. I guess I'm I'm basically Harvey Dent from from the Batman series, uh but I don't love this sour grapes routine that's coming out of Detroit or, or other teams that you know missed out on their first pick because if you look at the math, yes, Detroit, too bad. It's it, it's unfortunate that they didn't win three times in a row, but they had the best odds. They had the most. Lottery ball's in there. It's the equivalent of someone being at the roulette table and angry that they didn't, you know, it didn't land on red because red was due for a while. No, the odds are the same every spin. It's just as likely to be black 11 times in a row because the odds don't change. And the odds for the lottery right now, even if you've been screwed over, if you're the last place team, you have the best odds. You have the most balls in there. And if you don't win, it's, it's truly an, an anomaly. And the fact that you can see teams like the Rangers jump up or Carolina jumping up to get Sveshnikov or, you know, Philly jumped up the year that they got and patrick i think it discourages tanking which i think is a good thing because i don't think you know tanking is a is a, a great look for the sport and i even winning twice in a row i think it goes the other way i think it's 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 still fair it, odds are odds so yes it's unfortunate if a team wins the lottery twice in a row but we knew what the odds were they didn't have the the most balls in the in the container and the ball just got pulled i think it's fair it's just it's math it's odds it's a roulette wheel and I don't think you can get mad at the wheel for being unfair. So I, I I'm calling out Detroit or whoever this mystery team is. That's leading the charge sour grapes, just toughen up a little bit. Okay. You still have the best odds at the table.
0: Yeah. You know, what's funny about this whole controversy is, you know, the red wings got jobbed, but in the past two drafts, they came away with Moritz Cider, who is absolutely destroying the SHL in Sweden right now. And Lucas Raymond, who looks fantastic, uh, even though he was fourth overall. <laughs> so it's like, would the Red Wings have made different picks if they had if they had higher slots? Maybe they would have. But the way it worked out under the Steve Iserman, Chris Draper, uh, t- you know, power structure in the in their draft room, they've made it really, really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very good points. So there you go. Especially in a few years, because we know the wings, they like to slow cook those prospects, but we could be looking back and they could be the best guys in the draft class for all we know, especially when you look at how Alexi Lafreniere started. Oh dear. Who knows what's going to happen there, but you know, a little bit of a tough start, of course. Uh, I wanted to, talk. sorry. Say say that again, Ryan.
0: I just said it's early.
1: Yeah. It's early. It's very early. We saw it with Jack Hughes and look at him this year. We saw it with Joe Thornton. Still very early. Stephen Stamkos, same thing in his rookie year. Uh, I wanted to talk about Mr. Alex Galchenyuk, who's quickly becoming Mike Sillinger 2.0, who has the record 12 teams. And we were already calling Alex Galchenyuk Mike Sillinger. I know you were Stephen, and I was too on Twitter. And that was before he got traded again two days later. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs now. So he bounces from Ottawa to Carolina to Toronto in the span of a few days. It's his 10th year in the league and he's on team number seven. So now he's at, he's at 0.70 teams. Per year, Mike Sillinger's career was 0.71. So, so with that trade on on Monday night, Galchenyuk is almost in lockstep now with Mike Sillinger for being on pace for the most NHL teams. So I I wanted to ask you, Ryan, something that I think a lot of people ask every time you see Galchenyuk get moved is what's wrong with, with this kid, if we can still call him a kid. Do you believe that it's a guy who just can't reach his potential. Are there holes in his game? Does he frustrate coaches? Is he considered a dressing room cancer? These are all the kind of questions I see popping up. People want to know, what is it? Why is there this stink on Alex Galchenyuk and he gets moved so many times? So what is your take on the Alex Galchenyuk problem?
0: Well, you know, I do think there are holes in his game and, and that can be frustrating for our coaches. I think he's at a point now where, you know, he was never a big defensive player at the pro level, um, but in the early days with the Montreal Canadiens, he was producing, and of course, he famously had that 30 goal campaign. So, if GM and you're looking for scoring, and you say, "Who can we get that maybe just needed a change of scenery?" You can say, "Well, he had 30 goals. Uh, let's give him a try." And then he comes to town, and if he doesn't score right away, he's not going to help you at the you know in in his own in your own end. So all of a sudden he goes down the depth chart and you're stuck with a player who, if he's not scoring, then he's not helping. And it's a bit of a problem because, you know, for a lot of teams they have top six forwards um, and they have top six forwards that can play a two way game. So I just feel like it's hard for him to find a good fit right now, because what he brings has to be tangible on the score sheet and, you know, bouncing from team to team system to system, it's not easy to catch fire right away. And he has not been able to do that, frankly, since he left Montreal. And, you know, it's funny talking about him moving team so quickly, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him get drafted by Seattle, because uh, there's another team that would say, okay, well, we need scoring, um, you know, let's maybe it's a guy that needs a change of scenery uh so maybe galchenyuk is uh, a member of the kraken by this time next year who knows um but you know i've, I've never heard about him being you know, i i've actually like i've known him since he was i think 16 uh back when he played for sarnia in the ohl and he always struck me as a, a pretty nice young man he was uh very helpful with nail yakupov uh in sarnia you know yakupov came in uh, barely spoke any english galchenyuk uh, obviously he speaks multiple languages and uh, yeah, I mean, he was always cool with me and him and him and Yakov were hilarious together. Uh, they were just a lot of fun. You know, they're huge buddies. Um, so it's to me, I don't think it's anything like that. I think it's just a matter of a player who, you know, he's, he's limited at the NHL level and the thing he does, you got to do right away or teams are going to move on. Mm-hmm
1: yeah I'm with you it's funny I'm smiling now because I'm just thinking of Neil Yakupov in his draft year when we had him on the cover and he has some of the best quotes in any story we've ever had when he was <laughs> Neil Yakupov talking about how he was like my favorite movie is phone booth I don't care like he loved the movie phone booth with Colin Farrell and he that was one of his quotes in the magazine like in his draft day story I love phone booth and I don't care but I, I digress uh It's interesting with Galchenyuk, it's such a Kyle Dubas acquisition because the Leafs, they love their overqualified fourth liners. You know, Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton, Tyler Ennis before, Nick Patan, all these guys are now Galchenyuk that have like more upside than you typically get from a fourth liner. So I understand the rationale, like it's a good fit for the type of player the Leafs love to target if we see Galchenyuk eventually get a shot in the fourth line. But like you said, Ryan, you know, when when the offense dries up, it's like, what do you have left? And I think the problem with Galchenyuk is – the pattern of not evolving again and again you know he seems to land in coaches dog houses very quickly and people are always waiting to see him get his chance at center but then it's all you know there's the pattern of the coach not sure if they're going to give him a chance because he's hasn't earned it and it's just the defensive play the defensive play has been consistently poor he's graded out as a liability over the course of his career and it just it doesn't get better he just doesn't seem to and, and i'm not saying i don't know enough about what happens behind closed doors to i'm not going to Accuse him of of refusing to learn but i'm just saying the optics of it and what seems to be the perception from his coaches it are it's, it's just that this kid doesn't learn he doesn't play good defense and he just has not improved the commitment there which is why he bounces around because every team's trying to catch that lightning in a bottle and hope they get that 30 goal guy back and when they quickly find out they don't then what you're left with is a guy who's hurting you more than helping you on the ice so i'm with you on that one mr kennedy uh next up so the nhl has introduced a number of new covid protocols uh, among them a, a few quick examples you know they're treating players when they're at home now more like a traditional lockdown where you know they encourage them to order groceries that, and they're, they're their own everyone in their household is supposed to try and stay home as much as possible they're increasing the usage the usage of masks so it's anytime you're off the ice as soon as you or, or the bench as soon as you get to your dressing room even between periods you're now wearing a mask we have rapid testing is what we're trying to do is eliminate what happened with Tomic uh, Nozick last week with Vegas, where he comes in to a game and he gets a positive test in the middle of a game, gets pulled out. It's very similar to, you know, the Justin Turner situation in the World Series. So there are a bunch of new protocols the league's introducing because things have gotten pretty out of hand. We have, I think at one point last week, five teams shut down, maybe six at the same time. So are you skeptical about this, Ryan? Or do you think these new changes are going to finally stick and we're going to see some extended periods without teams getting locked down
0: i think things are going to get marginally better i don't know if we are ever going to have a situation where all 31 teams are fine at the same time i think i mean depending on how vaccinations go in north america uh i think you know the united states is a little ahead of canada but ironically you know canada's nhl teams have been fine so far um You know, the players, I think they needed to take things a little more seriously than they did at the beginning of the year. Uh, Maybe because they were in the bubble last year and they had that structure, they didn't have to worry as much. But now when they're going back with their families, and I'm sure their families are out and about, you know, depending on what state they live in, um, things are a lot more fluid in that sense. And I think, you know, in the past sort of week or two, when things looked pretty dire, I think that was a wake up call for the players and for the league. And that's why the league instituted these new policies. But, you know, I, I think even in the past couple of days we've seen the number of players on the COVID list drop and that's a that's a positive. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's too bad it took up call but I think with, uh, you know, I mean, you're dealing with this large group of people uh, spread all over the United States and then in Canada as well. Um, you know, you really have to hammer home these new protocols because it, it's it's all new to these players and, you know, they, they have to understand the ramifications. And I, and I think now that they now they see with all the cancellations that, yeah, you, you really have to buckle down like we're not out of the woods yet.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. If you're reading between the lines and in the language, I did go through it and sort of produce a layman's terms version for our website. I see a message of, OK, you know what? We weren't really enforcing everything as tough as we could. Now we're going to do it a little tougher to make sure the players comply. I'm getting that sense. And you know, because these droplets, they're tangible, physical things, Every little, every little bit helps. So every extra second with a mask on is going to reduce your chance of getting the virus. So these little changes, incremental as they are, I think are going to help. And if you look at the pattern across you know, baseball and football, for example, you saw in both the NFL season, 2020 NFL season, 2020 Major League Baseball season, huge clusters of teams going down, dropping like flies early in the season, and then really smartening up. And you almost never, I don't know if you ever did, but rarely if ever did you see the same team go down twice. So there seemed to be a pattern of team plays it a little too loose. They get a big slap on the wrist or a big wake-up call, I should say. They get shut down. They come back, and they're way more conservative with their behavior when they're not on the playing surface, and they don't get it again. Like the Florida Marlins, remember, they were a disaster. The Miami Marlins were a disaster at the start of the season. Tennessee Titans in the NFL. And you saw those teams kind of smarten up. So what I'm hoping we're going to see in the NHL now is the same pattern of the teams that got hit hard early, understanding how serious things are now, and they're going to be the best-behaved teams going forward. It's kind of sad that it, it has to come to this to get the players to really snap into attention and do it but i think the chances of of it working are are decent the only variable confounding variable is the variants of the virus which apparently are far more contagious so if they start spreading really quickly then it could be an all bets are off situation it could just spread around the league really fast so hopefully these changes will get things under control in time before the variant starts to take over if the variant takes over then we could see another bubble situation but hopefully not uh let's do some mailbag questions. We're going back to big old goof. And I, I want to say something first. If people are ever wondering about the, the question selection process. So it's like, Hey, why is big old goof getting another question? We didn't, we, big old goofs had a question a couple times in the last three podcasts. The reason is I, I pick questions, not based on who's due, it's just based on which question is, is most interesting for everyone to listen to. So if someone has a really good question two weeks in a row and I think it's something the audience will like, I'm gonna go back to that person a couple of weeks in a row just in case you haven't had your question picked and you're wondering why. So with that, we go back to Big old Goof and Big old Goof wants to know the Calgary Flames, Gong Show, Coach GM, massive trade. Something has to click or give with that team soon. Do you agree with the sentiment from Big old Goof, Ryan?
0: Nah, the Flames are fine. Uh, (laughs) I I think uh, maybe he looked at the points and not the games played Uh, because Calgary is a playoff team by points percentage right now. They just haven't played as many games as the teams uh, above them. Uh, I think Calgary is one of the few teams in the North that plays defense. Uh, They have a great goaltender, Jacob Markstrom. Johnny Goudreau has clearly rebounded from last year's debacle. Uh, He's putting up great numbers. I think maybe there was a point a week or two ago where things looked like they might be a little dicey for the flames, but I think they figured it out. And, uh, you know, we're recording this Tuesday morning. They won again last night, uh, even though it was an extra time. I I, I think the flames are in fine shape. I mean, maybe you add or subtract me, maybe you tweak a little bit, but right now, I mean, they're in a good position.
1: All right. I'm going to go the other way, Mr. Kennedy. I'm sticking to my guns with what I said in the offseason. I think the Flames are stuck in the murky middle, which is the worst place you want to be in the NHL right now. If you're if you're kind of limping along in mediocrity, you're not going to win a Stanley Cup. You might win a playoff series or two. They barely won any playoff series in the Brad True Living era. He made some big moves in the offseason. But the problem is, I think the moves you know, they address certain areas, but I I don't think they address the biggest area of need, which is offense. And the Flames, they're 19th in goals per game right now. They're 26th in shots on goal per game. Johnny Gaudreau's got nine goals, really resurgent season. You got two players with five and nobody else with more than five goals. And we're 15 games into the season. So you're just not getting that secondary offense. You've got Matthew Kachuk, Sean Monahan's got two goals. And I just don't think this team is dynamic enough, is potent enough to score enough to be an elite team. And I think that's a problem. I think I still believe that Calgary eventually is going to have to go backward to go forward because also the farm system, it's not elite. There's not like, you know, an absolute can't miss superstar score coming down the pipeline. And typically, you know, you either have to just really hit big with your scouting or finish lower and pick higher to get that kind of player. And I just don't know, you know, as an example, Gaudreau, they found him, they mined him later. monahan they picked high to get but I, I'm just not seeing the ceiling with the Flames. And I think they're a decent team. I agree. I think there's a pretty good chance they're going to be in the top four in the North, but I just kind of eh, I shrug my shoulders. So I still think it's going to come to a point where you're going to need to consider trading Johnny Gaudreau and or Sean Monaghan. I like to see Johnny Gaudreau go home to Philly. Uh, you know, he's, I think he's a South Jersey guy, but he, I think he grew up a Flyers fan. He's from that area. And I think that's a team that could use another dynamic score to get over the top and become an elite contender. So I'd love to Mm -hmm. see Johnny Gajon in a Flyers uniform at some point. Maybe it'll happen, maybe not. Next question is from American underscore CO. Why are the Avalanche always injured? Last season, the bubble. Now this season, no one is that unlucky. Poor training and conditioning regimen. This is an interesting question because it's true. You know you, the abs are it, it seems like they're absolutely snake bitten. You're like last year they had a ton of injuries, whether it was Grubauer, Landis Cog, Ranton, and this year they're just if you look at their injury list, it's loaded, some bits COVID related. Uh, so I understand why someone would, would ask the question. They have had the same strength and conditioning coach throughout all these injuries, Casey Bond, for think you know, almost close to a decade, but. If we knew that these guys got a string going every guy's got a hamstring instru- injury, then maybe you could start to build the conspiracy theory that these guys, they're being too, pushed too hard or doing the wrong kind of workouts. But the problem with the NHL compared to any other league is the specifics of the injury reports are so vague. It's like, well, Kale McCarr has got an upper body injury and Miko Lant- Ranton had a leg injury last year. We don't know the specifics of so many of these injuries that I don't, because of that, we can't really diagnose the types and speculate on what caused the injuries. So... I'm not going to buy into this conspiracy theory. I think it's just bad luck. What say you, Ryan?
0: Yeah, it's probably just bad luck. The, the only other thing I could think of is like altitude. Like, you know, like they're playing at the higher altitude. Maybe that makes you more susceptible to injury. I have no idea. Uh, I guess ask the Denver Broncos or the Denver Nuggets what their uh, triage lists look like. Otherwise, I, I think it's just bad fortune. You know, They had a, a spate of injuries during the playoffs last year that obviously hamstrung them and uh, ultimately cost them the, the playoffs, but I, I think it's just bad luck. I don't, I don't know what to do about injuries um, when they're, you know, when they're not all the same. I mean, if every single guy had a groin injury, then maybe you say, okay, well, we're doing something wrong here, but uh, when it's different parts of the body, I think it's just,
1: just bad luck. It's just mm-hmm. hacky. That's right. Next question is from JC Thack. And JC wants to know, I love this question. Who is the team you secretly love to root for? It can be from any sport, not just hockey. And, and I wrote down just the city of Buffalo. Uh, I just love to root for that city. Maybe it's a soft spot because, you know, we are close to Buffalo here in Toronto. It's only, you know, hour, hour, hour and a half drive over the border to Buffalo. So I spent a decent amount of time in Buffalo in my life. I've probably been there 30 times. Um, but I just love the unconditional love for their sports teams. You get in these cities or in this city, you know, Buffalo Bills, went almost two decades or exactly two decades without a a playoff berth the sabers are struggling right now but the fans care so much about their teams they deserve good teams and i find myself rooting and you know even the fact that i've said this before but you look at tv ratings even with the sabers just never in the playoffs during the during the playoffs the nbc ratings buffalo as a market is still so robust because the fans love their hockey they're tuning in i remember being in there i went to interview a player i think it was evander kane so it was 2017 and I was there during the day and it was like a Monday afternoon and they were just trucks driving by the key bank center going beep, 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 like doing the let's go Buffalo. And I was like, that's awesome. Like they care so much that a truck driver is committed to doing the let's go Buffalo beep just because he's driving by the arena on a Monday afternoon. That's so cool. So yeah, if there's, if there's a, a team, I have a soft spot, sport, soft spot for, I would say it's the Buffalo bills in the NFL even though I'm not a Bills fan, or maybe the Sabres, because I just think that market deserves a winner. So just call my pick City of Buffalo. What about you, Mr. Kennedy?
0: It's funny you mentioned the Buffalo Bills, because I never cheered for the Bills growing up, although I did have a autographed picture of Thurman Thomas. Um, but I found this year, because I'm, I was a Raiders fan, but since they moved, like, I'm out. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing against Las Vegas, just you know, you move a team that many times, it's like, I'm done, you don't care. Um, I found myself watching a lot of Bills games simply because of, you know, geographics. Uh, that That's what was on. Um, and I was like, I was really pulling for the Bills because they've had so much futility for so long. And uh, I found myself saying like, am I a Bills fan now? And I don't think I would go that far. Um, but it was really nice to see that fan base rewarded. Otherwise, I would say that, You know going back when i was growing up i loved college basketball and march madness and i loved all the the cinderella teams that you know either pulled off upsets or even came close like the year albany almost beat yukon in the first round as a 16 they didn't end up doing it connecticut won but it was crazy um you know teams like butler and valparaiso and and gonzaga back in the day there was a time where gonzaga nobody knew who gonzaga was now i'm you know, they're one of the powerhouses, even though they haven't won. Um, And that's kind of transferred over to college hockey now, where I I will root for any new team. So like when Penn State got the team, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I, I hope they, you know, catch on quick. And then Arizona State, that was really fun because, you know, the Sun Devils, they had Joey Decord. Um, you know, the goaltender, you know, make his NHL debut with Ottawa, like very quickly into his career. And, you know, the Sun Devils had some early success and they made the national tournament. And then, you know, now I find myself like with Long Island University, you know, I try to keep tabs on the Sharks and be like, oh, how are the Sharks doing? You know, then they've only played like nine games, but I want those new programs to, to get a foothold in the sport. Cause I think it's so great to have more teams in college hockey. So, uh, yeah, so I, I cheer for I, I know, juniors. Anytime like a minnow country comes close to pulling an upset, um, you know, like when Denmark took Russia to overtime in the quarterfinal, um, a few years ago, to me, it's just like, that's the, that's the fun of that tournament. The same with like Germany this year, uh, when they started to heat up at the end there, it's like, Ooh, what would you know, wouldn't it be incredible? Um, and Steven said "Always be a fan of Switzerland. Uh, Steven loves Switzerland. Um, and I will say one of the, f- the first great upsets I saw at the World Juniors was Nino Niederreiter and Benjamin Kahn's pushing Switzerland past Russia at the quarterfinal in Saskatchewan. That was the first World Juniors I ever covered uh, where they beat Nikita Filatov and the Russians. Um, so at the World Juniors, it's always fun when the ball countries get close. So those are the, I, I like the underdogs.
1: Yeah. I like it. It's funny. I, I, I'm sure for underdogs within games and within series, it's like, I just want every game to be decided in overtime, every series to go to game seven in overtime. So like, if there's a team trailing, I'm kind of like wanting that team to come back because it's interesting. And it, it, whether it's in a series or in a game, unless I'm at the game, and I need to unless go. I'm I'm the game. <laughs> yeah.
0: If yeah. I'm at the game, I well, I don't care who wins. I just want them to win in regulation. Yes. Yes, But that's more of a professional thing where it's like, we got to do the interviews after and, you know, probably go to a hotel and write and stuff like that.
1: So. One of the funny, it's, got, it's a bit of a shadow for you, but like one of the funniest things about when a team comes back is seeing the like beat writer select all and delete their story in the third period when there's a big comeback. <laughs> They're trying to do the old, get that story written early and they have to yeah. start. It's happened to me before too, so. Uh, we'll do one more question before the rapid fire game. This is called, this question is from Zigras. is always greener. So maybe it's a Ducks fan with Brian Burke, getting a job in Pittsburgh. Some people think he's going to make a run for Sam Bennett. What could Calgary get from the pens for Benny? I do like the theory because, you know, Brian Burke does have a history of trading for his people, right? So he, when he, when he went to the Leafs, he goes and gets Francois Beauchemin from Anaheim, who he want to stand in the cup with. He brings over Joffrey Lupo. So you've seen Burke do that kind of thing before. So I understand what you're thinking here. Uh, as for a trade for Sam Bennett, it's got to be a player of probably roughly equal value because both of these teams fashion themselves still to be contenders. So you're going to see a hockey trade. So it depends on what Calgary wants. I still think Calgary needs scoring. That's kind of the problem. So it's like, does Pittsburgh have a, a forward they could spare uh, that has the right type of fit for what Calgary needs? If you decide Kasperi Kapanen's not working out, do you send him for Sam Bennett? I'm not sure. But there isn't a great fit, I don't think, in terms of what what I think Calgary needs and what Pittsburgh would have to offer. Because you could say Zach Aston Reese or Jared McCann, but that's kind of more of what Calgary already has. They need a guy with a higher offensive ceiling. So my, yeah, my pick would be like Casper captain. And if he goes bust in Pittsburgh, but I don't know if the trade's going to happen. I don't think it's a great fit just in terms of what Calgary would be looking for in return. I can see the fit for Pittsburgh. What say you Ryan?
0: Yeah. I don't see a very good fit there simply because you know, Pittsburgh cannot trade any of their prospects. They only have like five prospects to begin with. Um, And, you know, they they have to plan for the future. So, you know, it's not like they're going to give up Samuel Poulin or Nathan Lajere uh, to get Sam Bennett for a couple of years. Um, I feel like with Pittsburgh right now, you know, it's best for them to just talk about what they have. You know, Ron Hextall is just sort of, you know, getting speed under him with this new job. And, uh, yeah, I don't think Sam Bennett would really push the needle in the right direction for the Penguins since it would have to be a hockey player. So I don't see it fit there.
1: Mm-hmm. All righty. We're going to finish it off with the rapid-fire game, and I am the host today. So, Ryan, are you ready? I'm ready. And, Stephen, Stephen, you want in on this? You want in? Producer Steven? No? No good? Sure. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Steven's it. in. We got Two players here at the table, two players from rapid fire here. All right, Ryan, you will be the first answer. Steven, you will be the second answer. Question one, Ryan, how worried are you about Alexi Lafreniere on a scale of one to 10? Uh,
0: two, not not worried at all.
2: I'm it's going early. two, two also.
1: I'm going to say four. Not really worried, but it's it's been really bad, like even worse than Jack Hughes bad so far. What is the nerdiest thing about you, Ryan?
0: Oh, um, like my hardcore punk record collection, probably. Yeah, I, there's a lot of nerdy things about me. I, I will, yeah. Hong Kong action movies, uh, yeah. Record collection, college pennants that I collect. Yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of nerdy tendencies.
2: I can name every goalie that played in the 2005-06 NHL season.
1: That's a good one. That's a deep. That's a deep cut. Uh, I will say I I alphabetize all my Blu-rays, and uh, which include Hong Kong action movies. I also, if I if I play a video game, all I ever do is just create teams of everyone I know. Like I I have a hockey team that has like all my friends, in NHL twenty, and also like my dog. Like my family, like it's weird. It's a bit nerdy, okay? I'm going to I'm gonna stop talking about it now. <laughs> Next question. Will Robin Lehner be Vegas' starter in game one of the playoffs?
0: No. Fleury's playing too well. I think at this point, Lehner is the backup.
1: No. I'm going to say no as well. It hurts me because I just traded for him in my fantasy league. Damn it. What movie makes you cry?
0: Oh, uh the most recent was coco yeah watch that with the fam uh, i think i've seen it twice now and it's like even though you know the twists are coming what's coming it's like that's just waterworks also a uh, shout out to a league of their own.
2: i i was actually also gonna say coco but I, i'm gonna say there was uh oh geez there was a, a sesame street movie that
1: like when elmo lost his blankie that made me cry for a long time mm. I think for me, Rudy had the belt for a long time, but now Toy Story 3 is, I don't think Toy Story 3 is gonna relinquish the title for a long time. Just the, the last few minutes when Andy gives away his toys to the little girl, oh man. Like at one point, our my daughter watched it twice in a day and I wept both times when that scene came on. I was like doing dishes in the kitchen and I was like, oh my God, here we go again. <clears throat> uh, who is the most difficult player to interview? Like currently? Ever, whoever, whoever you want. Hmm.
0: I mean, Connor McDavid's tough because he's reserved on purpose uh, and he's always been that way. So it's not difficult. You just know that you're not going to get a lot out of him because he doesn't want to make waves, which is understandable. So, I mean, I've always had, like, it's, it's always cordial, um, but you're not going to get, like, you know, Crazy Brent Burns
2: anecdotes from him. I'm going with Paul Coffey. It just every time I've ever wanted to talk to him, it's been like a pain in the butt to get anything, either <laughs> him or his son. Like it's like when his his when uh I forget what his name is, but the one son to play OJHL. Just getting either of them to ever talk was always complicated.
1: All right, in the traditional sense, I'll say Jonathan Quick, just because he's a prickly customer, so you have to be on your toes and ready. But in outside the box, I'm going to say Grant fear even though I've known Grant fear for a long time and like he's an ally of mine helps me with a lot of stuff. So I talk to him pretty often, but he has the weirdest speaking cadence. So you do, you think when you're actually listening, you don't know if he's done talking. So he'll, he'll speak like this. It's a really nice day today. And it's sunny and I'm happy. So you, so you're like, you don't know if you're interrupting him and you're, it's really awkward just because of his speaking style. He speaks in short little bursts. So he's extremely difficult to interview. Uh, last question it's a scenario time for you guys okay here's the scenario if you beat bob probert in his prime in a fight you win one million dollars every time you challenge him you get ten thousand dollars for the fight how many times do you fight him before you give up
0: i would i think i would go ten times because i think a hundred thousand dollars would be worth turtling uh, and and having blows rained upon my head um, whereas like you know twenty thousand dollars it wouldn't be worth it wouldn't be worth taking two beatings yeah I, I think there's like a there's like a risk reward spectrum there so I think 10 times
2: I'm going with once just to say I did it and then I actually like I, I care about my brain and my health so I don't really <laughs> feel like doing it again
1: I'm going to say 0 because I've had too many concussions my brain is toast so I can't even I can't even do it once it's not worth the money so I'm out I'm out sorry Bob I'm out And that concludes the podcast for this week thank you for listening everybody we'll be back as far as I know the white-haired man Ken Campbell will return see you next week